And welcome to it, the end of January. Yes, it is January 31st. I've been away for a while. Glad to be back. It's Mike on the Puro Pelka podcast. Where have I been? I've been doing radio. I was doing a whole bunch of radio for Chris Plant. If you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, you have the schedule. I do regular fill-ins around the country. I call myself America's guest host, which is kind of true. Since I fill in for Chris Plant, Joe Paggs, I filled in for Simon Conway in Iowa, and folks in Florida and South Carolina and Arizona, everywhere. I've been everywhere, man. But here on uh, January 31st, I'm with you. Hot Chocolate Day and Brandy Alexander Day. And I would not cross those two streams. What happened on this day back in the day? Because today is critical. Today's a very important day in history. On this day in 1865, the House passed the 13th Amendment, banning slavery. It started in the House. On this date in 1893, Coca-Cola's trademark was approved, recorded, etc. On this day in 1950, President Truman announced, we have developed a hydrogen bomb. This was a, uh, another leap ahead in the arms race with the Soviet Union. We had the uh, atomic bomb that we obviously are the only nation to use the nuclear bomb, but we built something even more deadly, the hydrogen bomb, and we announced that in 1950. The rest of the world is caught up, of course. In 1980, something happened to Coca-Cola. I talked about the trademark from 1893, but in 1980... Coca-Cola claimed they were moving from sugar, regular old cane sugar in its sodas, to high fructose corn syrup. Now, I'm not a fan of high fructose corn syrup. I try to get it out of my diet any way I can, but you have to be a label reader because it's everywhere. It's in ketchup. It is literally everywhere. Well, everywhere in America, a lot of other countries have banned high fructose corn syrup because it's not good for humans. But it's real cheap to sweeten sodas. And it was on this date in 1980, Coca-Cola said sugar prices are just too damn high. We're going to this high fructose corn syrup. That's why when I drink a Coca-Cola, and I will maybe every other week, we have a supply of them from Mexico. Coca-Cola made Mexico, which is made with cane sugar, not high fructose corn syrup. You know, we'll get uh, Dr. Royzen on this. We'll do an entire segment on it in a week or so. Also on this date in uh, 1981, think about it. It's not that long ago, 1981. On this date in 1981, Solidarity's leader Lech Walesa, who eventually became the leader of Poland, who uh, was leading the workers in strikes, announced that they had a deal to finally give workers Saturdays off. 1981 and the workers in Poland did not have Saturdays off. That is amazing. And as we come up on that uh, big game in football, the Super Bowl, in 1988, Doug Williams led the Redskins to a Super Bowl win over the favored Denver Broncos. That's right. I said the Redskins. Because that was the name of the team. They're now the Commanders after spending a season and a half as the Washington football team. Ugh, madness. Super Bowl just around the corner. 
what is it, a week and a half or so, and uh, Philly versus Kansas City. I'm going to root for Philly because I have so many friends in the area who are just out of their minds over this. Uh, also in history, 2001, mad cow disease was a thing. And if you don't know what mad cow disease is, it was a um, degenerative brain disease that cows got because they were basically feeding on their own species. Yeah, that's how it happened. There's a, a great book that breaks it down called The Deadly Feast that explains how mad cow became a thing. And in order to prevent it from getting into the food chain, the EU was forced to kill over a million cows. I think it was something like 400,000 in England alone. Stunning when you think about that. And in 2020, probably the most important anniversary. Today is the three-year anniversary of Dr. Anthony Fauci learning that the COVID-19 virus was man-made. Yeah, it was three years ago today, Dr. Fauci learned that the COVID-19 virus was man-made. How do we know this? Well, Jim Jordan figured it out. Congressman Jim Jordan is now chairman of committees that are going to investigate stuff like this. Jim Jordan figured it out over a year ago and held a uh, hearing in the House. Fauci was invited. He did not show up. He was busy doing TV appearances and Jim Jordan broke it down. Let me give you just a, a little bit of it. Here's the, here's the actual proof that Fauci knew three years ago today that COVID was man-made. Friday, January 31st, 2020, at 10.32 p.m., Dr. Fauci gets an email from Christian Anderson. Christian Anderson's a British researcher who's received numerous grants from NIH. Two really important sentences are in that email. Two sentences that get Dr. Fauci's attention. The first is this. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features look engineered. Again, this is January 31st, 2020. Second sentence, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Email arrives 1032 to Dr. Fauci on January 31st, 2020. January 31st, 2020, 10.30 at night. I'm going to give you just a little bit more because this is a long clip. But I've linked to it online so you can see it. January 31st, Fauci gets this email. 10.30 at night. Three years ago. He knew. And what did that realization that, oh my God, a whole bunch of people have figured out something here? What did that cause Fauci to do? Two hours later, two hours later at 1229 in the morning, Dr. Fauci sends an email to his top deputy, Mr. Hugh Oshenkloss. Guys worked for Fauci for 15 years, part of his inner circle, sends it, subject line says important in all capital letters. The, he attaches a paper on gain of function research written by Dr. Barrick and Dr. Xi. Dr. Xi, of course, is the so-called bat lady, bat woman, the lady who does research in the Wuhan China lab. This email, Dr. Fauci says again to his top deputy, it is essential that we speak this AM. Keep your cell phone on, read this paper. You will have tasks to do today that must be 
done. Notice the intensity. Notice the focus. I mean, this is the house is on fire email. Yes, this is the house is on fire email that Fauci sent after he learned three years ago today that COVID was man-made. Now, why was Fauci so nervous about it? He was nervous because his funding of labs around the world, labs that were doing gain-of-function research, was probably tied to the Wuhan lab. Yeah, the Chinese lab. From where most right-thinking people now believe this virus was leaked. Jim Jordan delivering the absolute knockout truth. It is so important for us to make sure we understand everything that's going on and how it happened and who was behind it. And Fauci is one of the people who needs to face the music on this. One of the people who has to be brought in front of this panel and made to answer and, if necessary, pay for what he foisted upon America. It it truly has been absolutely stunning to me that this has been suppressed for so long. I'm glad it's finally coming out, but it can't be soon enough. It really cannot be soon enough. Uh, Speaking of this connection to uh, the man-made COVID-19 and the hysteria that followed afterwards, uh, you know, uh, Joe Biden has uh, a new chief of staff coming in after State of the Union. He's doing the State of the Union next week. I wish they would hold it. I don't think they need to allow it to happen until we get the document story cleared up or Joe's health story cleared up. What happened during his physical? Was there a cognitive test? Joe is going to have a new chief of staff named Jeff Zients. And in 2021, Jeff Zients was one of the people out there pushing the, uh, the COVID shots along with Fauci. And Rachel Walensky, he was part of the COVID response team. He's going to be the chief of staff. But back in uh, 2021, he was telling the entire world this from the White House. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death. For yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. That didn't happen. The unvaccinated didn't overwhelm the hospitals. And those people weren't subjected to a winter of severe illness and death. But now this guy's going to be inside the White House. He's going to be the chief of staff. He's essentially the guy who's going to filter what's going in and out of Joe's head. It's a little disturbing, especially in, in the face of the new poll that Chuck Todd was talking about this weekend on Meet the Press, the poll that says 71% of Americans say the country is going the wrong direction. Asked to describe where America is headed in the next year, more than two-thirds use negative words and phrases, downhill, wrong track, disaster, hard times, and uncertain. It's both sides of the aisle, folks. This isn't just one-sided. Yeah, which means everybody sees the guy in charge has led us the wrong way both sides of the aisle downhill wrong track disaster hard times uncertainty 
So are we going to negotiate about the debt ceiling? Are we going to have a talk about it? You know, Kevin McCarthy over the weekend said that uh, we're going to have he's going to have a meeting with Joe Biden on Wednesday. If the debt ceiling is a crisis, why are they waiting till Wednesday? If the debt ceiling is a problem, why do they have to wait until Wednesday? It's not a problem. It's not a problem at all. I'll tell you what the problem is, the intransigence of the Democrats when it comes to the debt ceiling. The only reason why they are blocking any negotiation on spending is, well, number one, they love spending your money and my money. And number two, they don't like it because it's a GOP idea. But I'm old enough to remember when Nancy Pelosi talked about the need to work together with Republicans on a compromise for the debt ceiling back in 2011. We're determined to work together, Democrats and Republicans, House and Senate, uh, White House and Congress, uh, to make sure that there's, we remove all doubt that there is no default on the debt and how we go forward will send a message of confidence uh, to the markets that we can have a budget arrangement that is balanced. Again, while preserving social, uh, preserving Medicare. So the pitch that the Democrats are making that, no, there's not going to be any negotiation. It was completely different in 2011. I'm old enough to remember, as I said, even Amy Klobuchar tried to paint a... uh, negative picture of those who drew line in the sand over debt negotiations. We must get serious about tackling the deficit and putting our country back on sound fiscal ground. Huh. So you're all in favor of reducing spending, or you were in 2011. But the problem we're facing now is not only a crisis of the dollars and the cents. It is also a crisis of the divide and the deadlock. Yeah, deadlock, which is currently being caused by the Democrats. Yes, the Democrats. They're the ones. Kevin McCarthy actually sounding kind of um, kind of positive about this. Kevin McCarthy kind of sounding like, you know, he's, he's hopeful, but he also remembers 2011. But do you have any indication that the president is willing to discuss both lifting the debt ceiling and the issue of future spending? Well... If he's changed his mind from his whole time in the Senate and vice president before, I mean, he literally led the talks in 2011 and he praised having those talks. This is what he's always done in the past. And if he listens to the American public, more than 74 percent believe we need to sit down and find ways to eliminate this wasteful spending in Washington. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe he would change his behavior from before. And I know there's a willingness on our side to find a way that we can find a reasonable and responsible way to get this done. So I, I have to give Kevin McCarthy a little attaboy here. He's, he's actually surprising me in many of his encounters with the media and kind of playing the politics on this correctly. I loved when he pushed Adam Schiff and, and uh, Swalwell off the Intel Committee. I know he was trying to get Ilhan Omar off any committee, and I recommend that. There may not be a way to get that done because in that case, they actually have to vote. The entire House has to vote and a couple of Republicans might keep her in there. By the way, she's an idiot. 
she's an ungrateful idiot, someone who has gotten the benefit of being brought here to this country as a child, as a refugee, and given everything by the kindness of America, education, opportunity. And now that she's in Congress, she wants to destroy the country. And she is an anti-Semite. And when she was on CNN this weekend talking to Dana Bash about how she didn't realize she was using anti-Semitic, verge, uh, anti-Semitic language, I, I'm sorry, I don't believe this. You said that Israel hypnotized the world. You said Israel is an apartheid regime, that politicians with pro-Israel stances were all about the Benjamins, which you very notably apologized for, Uh, that you support the BDS movement, which a lot of people think is rooted in anti-Semitism, compare the U.S. and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban. I want to give you a chance to respond to all of that, which they say is a clear pattern. Before she responds, I, I actually want to give CNN a pat on the back for that unfiltered recitation of the awful things that this woman has said. How she even gets reelected, I don't know. It's probably because her whole district or a majority of it are anti-Israel and they support her. But here she is then lying about this or making up her answer about, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, um... I might have uh, used words at the time that I didn't understand words. You used the words, not might have. You did use them. You absolutely used them. Go, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. I uh, used words at the time that I didn't understand word trafficking in uh, anti-Semitism. Right. Uh, when that was brought to my attention, I apologized. I owned up to it. That's the kind of person that I am. Uh, and I continue to work with my colleagues and my community uh, to fight against anti-Semitism. Uh, now, I've never compared or made any comparisons. What I was referencing was the case that was in front of the ICC. She's a liar, and she's an ingrate. And she's sitting next to two other liars and ingrates, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell, both now kicked off committees. And Swalwell still saying he didn't compromise national security by sleeping with Fang Fang who's a Chinese spy, who when she was found out, she quickly left America. Quickly, escaping any scrutiny. Uh, Congressman, you were also removed uh, by Republicans from the Intelligence Committee. What the Speaker said about you is that beginning in 2012, a suspected Chinese spy developed ties to you and to your office, even put an intern uh, there, raised campaign funds for you. You say very clearly you cut off ties with this person back in 2015 when you found out you cooperated with the FBI. But the bottom line question is this. Did you put yourself in a vulnerable position in any way so that this alleged Chinese spy could have benefited or even learn American secrets? Absolutely not. Uh, But, Dana, uh, don't take my word for it. Um, Take the FBI's word for it. They never talk about ongoing investigations and, and Former Chairman Schiff knows this as a member of the Gang of Eight. Three different times they came out and said two things. All I did was help them, and also I was never under any suspicion of wrongdoing. Uh, We don't know because we didn't get a chance to talk to Fang Fang because she got away. She got away. The other weasel in that panel between Omar and Swalwell 
is Adam Schiff, who tripled down on the Russia collusion hoax with Dana Bash. You said that there was direct evidence of the fact that Donald Trump colluded with Russia back in 2016. Special counsel Robert Mueller said in his report, quote, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government. Republicans argue that's proof that you used your position on the Intelligence Committee to intentionally mislead Americans, which is why you should not be on that committee. If you read the Mueller report, uh, he makes clear, uh, even in the first few pages of the report, that he states no conclusion on whether Donald Trump and his campaign colluded with the Russians. But what he does reveal in his report, what we found in our investigation, is that Donald Trump's campaign manager was sharing internal campaign polling data and their strategy for key battleground states with an agent of Russian intelligence, while that same unit of Russian intelligence was helping the Trump campaign. Not true. And he never responded to the question about claiming he had evidence, which he did. He did. He also lied about the whistleblower. Remember that? Let me give you another. He says that um, this is part of, the, uh, of a pattern ahead of the first Trump impeachment. You said the committee had not spoken to a whistleblower. In fact, that turned out not to be true. You know, the Washington Post uh, said so in their, in their fact check. Uh, the Washington Post uh, uh, identified that, yes, before the person became a whistleblower, they sought advice from the committee. Uh, when I was asked the question, I thought they were referring to whether we had brought the whistleblower in. Uh, and I should have been more clear in my answer. Yeah, you're a weasel and you're a liar. And I'm glad you're off the committee. We don't need people like you investigating things based solely on politics, which is where this is going. Unbelievable. Anyone go to the gas pump in the last couple of days? Yeah, the uh, price of oil is on the rise and our strategic petroleum reserves are low, the lowest they've been in 40 years. And if we uh, would have topped them off when Donald Trump was president, we would have been paying 25 bucks a barrel. But Chuck Schumer said, no, you can't do that. And now that we've drained them even further, it's going to be almost triple the cost to refill them if we were to do it now, but gas and the price of oil are going up. If you listen to uh, Democrat Representative Ted Lieu, he wants you to think that Joe Biden has lowered gas prices and try and blame Republicans, saying, I can summarize this debate of the last two days into one sentence. Joe Biden lowered your gas prices and Republicans are upset about it. No. Gas prices were $2.30 a gallon when Joe Biden took over. They are $3.50 a gallon on average today. The truth will set you free. So many other stories I have to get to. I have to tell you, I am getting so tired of the crazy left being given credibility. The crazy left that is pushing these drag shows for children, calling them family friendly. The one that happened in Texas over the weekend. I can't believe it happened in Texas. If you're going to have a drag show, just do it and have adults in there. Dress up like women if you want. I don't care. I think the women should care because you are essentially gender appropriating. The same thing for the trans people, not just the drag queens. But if you're born a man 
and you're pretending to be a woman, well, you're you're gender appropriating. And that's wrong. You can't race appropriate. You can't gender appropriate. You can't accent appropriate. Remember when they people got mad, and they still do, if you are playing the role of a nationality which you were not born. For example, on The Simpsons, the character of Apu, the convenience store owner, was uh, Hank Azaria's voice for so many years. And when people said, why is an Indian playing that? Hank Azaria got the woke pressure and stepped down, gave up the gig. He was terrific. What's the big deal? And if Hank Azaria had to step down, why is SNL allowing its performers to do accents of characters that they are not of the same nationality? This very weekend, Kenan Thompson was doing a Dominican accent. Why is he allowed to do that? Why is that okay, but Hank Azaria as a poo not okay? Just wondering. Now back to the people who are gender appropriating. The drag queens. Look, you want to do this in front of your adult friends? Fine. You look ridiculous to me. Uh, whatever floats your boat. But in Texas over the weekend at a, quote, family-friendly drag show where there were children present, the drag queen with the microphone in front of a camera apparently knew it was being taped, doesn't have any problem saying this, I'm sorry, this is wrong. All right, now, I'm going to do a quick little cheers that I normally do. I mean, I know there's little babies here, but close your ears. <laughs> I, this is just a tradition that all shows normally do. So raise your glasses. Cheers to you. Cheers to me. Cheers to the ones that lick us where we pee. I'm not sure you heard it all. The drag queen acknowledged there were babies there, children there. But we do this at all our shows, so we're going to do it here. We don't care about the appropriateness. The toast was, quote, cheers to you, cheers to me, cheers to the ones that lick us where we pee, close quote. How is that appropriate? On what planet is that appropriate? It's it's absolutely out of control. And look, if it's an adult business, fine. Do whatever you want. But could you please leave the damn kids alone? Just one time, leave the kids alone. I know. Uh, I got a couple other things I have to get to, and then we're going to talk about, since it's the anniversary of... Uh, of Dr. Fauci learning that the virus was, in fact, man-made, engineered. I, I, have to play, uh, I have to play a clip that I think is really important from The Simpsons before we talk to Dr. Royson about that. Uh, that, uh, that clip from The Simpsons, especially on the anniversary of Fauci learning about the virus, that clip seems more prescient than ever. And I think this was from 2010 or 2011. It featured a secret meeting with network executives, news executives, and uh, the U.S. government. I'd like to call to order this secret conclave of America's media empires. 
We're here to come up with the next phony baloney crisis to put Americans back where they belong in dark rooms glued to their televisions too terrified to skip the commercials. Well, I think... NBC, you are here to listen and not speak. I think we should go with a good old-fashioned public health care. Yeah. A new disease. No one's immune. It's like the summer of the shark, except instead of a shark, it's an epidemic. And instead of summer, it's all the time. That is Now, I hate to be the guy who derails what everybody else loves. He loves being that guy. But, Janice, we do have standards. This can't be a made-up disease. The only moral thing to do is release a deadly virus into the general public. We do have something we've been holding on to, but it hasn't been tested. Get over here, NBC. Uh, well, well, we certainly believe in testing, but I... Oh, oh. So they gave the uh, virus to the NBC executive, and he promptly died. Kind of curious that The Simpsons may have predicted what actually happened when you consider all the collusion between the government, the networks, etc., as it relates to the virus. <sighs> really troubling. All right, let's get Dr. Roizen in here because uh, I'm vaccinated. I was coerced into getting vaccinated in order to keep working. I did not want to then depend on the government for my funding. I believed what we were told, that the vaccines would be safe and effective. And apparently they're neither. Neither safe or effective, which is kind of scary, is it not? Hmm. Dr. Michael Royson of the Cleveland Clinic is joining us. Doctor, I have to tell you, uh, this question is one that a lot of people are talking about. So let's talk about the vaccine. Is this vaccine safe? No vaccine is safe, 100% safe. Mm -hmm. So there is always a risk, even the polio vaccine, which prevents you know, polio and now has almost wiped it out um, is has risk. And the question is always the benefit to risk and how do we make the vaccine safer? So let's go over some of the risk of getting COVID and what whether the vaccines help prevent it and what the risk is of the vaccines. So in the worst group, that is men between 30 and 50, the vaccines look like they cause a serious adverse reaction in about one in 150,000. And in every other group, it is less, but that's the men uh, 30 to 50. What does the vaccine prevent? It prevents hospitalization, and we think it also mitigates against both long COVID and serious adverse reactions. And the data is probably, if you look at the population as a whole, um, about one in some place on the order of 15,000. So the least benefit it has, and, and by the way, what do we fear with long COVID? Well, you and I have talked about this. The, with the Spanish flu in 1917 to 19, what happened 50 years later, 40 years later, 
was the onset of Parkinson's disease because those viruses accumulated in the basal ganglia where Parkinson's is caused. This virus does exactly the same gosh darn thing. Hmm. So what I fear most about this virus and why I'm going to keep getting the, the uh, and I'm getting Moderna, why I'm going to keep, and, and Moderna is, by the way, it looks like it's one half to one third as risky as the Pfizer uh, vaccines from the data I've seen for serious illness in the 30 to 50 year old. Um, so the, it, if it prevents long COVID and the development of Parkinson's disease, and it was equal, and again, I think it's about 10 times more better than risk, I would get it for that reason alone. Hmm. Okay. But, but in any case, there, there is no vaccine that is safe. This one isn't safe but it is a lot safer than getting the disease um, without, without getting the vaccine. Now, it's going to mutate, and usually the mutations are to less risky viruses. We don't know that this one, this one hasn't done that until this last mutation, and we hope this last mutation stays relatively benign. But this last mutation is still causing long COVID, which is really a problem. The fatigue, the wipeout, the arthritis that occurs with it, and the myocarditis, and God forbid, the brain fog, and subsequent um, whatever happens consequent to that. So my own belief is this, the, the Pfizer and Moderna are not ideal. They do cause episodes of arthritis, myocarditis, and if you're not hydrated and you don't take an aspirin at the same time, you can get a severe inflammatory reaction that can cause plaque to break off and cause a heart attack and stroke, just like if you got the disease, only the disease is much more inflammatory than this. But in any case, um, the, the point is that there is a strong benefit greater than risk, but there is a substantial risk, especially in that 30 to 50 age group. And that's men, predominantly men, 30 to 50. Correct. Now, earlier, um, well, at the end of last week, the New England Journal of Medicine put out a paper recommending that children no longer get boosted because there's no real need and there's no real benefit. And there are the, uh, the chances, the risks is this something that you, you noticed, and is this good science? You know, I'm not a pediatrician, and I don't know enough of, I haven't studied the risks and benefits in the under 18 age group very well. But it looks, there isn't, there aren't much, there, there is much lower risk for at least the short-term adverse effects of serious hospitalization and um, arthritis from the disease. I don't know how much long COVID, I don't know whether the viral particles uh, change the smell and get into the brain through that olfactory nerve the way they do in us old folk. Um, so I can't say what I believe about that strongly, but clearly, acutely, 
that is the the acute illnesses are less uh, worrisome in the kids than they are in people older than 50 or with comorbid conditions like obesity or hypertension, et cetera. So the the point is there's less benefit in those uh, kids. And um, the risk may be the same, maybe even greater because they have a stronger immune reaction to it, uh, to the same vaccine. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. The worry I have is that the kids will be the epidemic, if you will, um, reservoir for for the disease going to the elderly. And so um, if what you really want to do is to make sure that kids don't get it. I, I, I know of a, a very good friend um, who um, kid got it, the kid passed it to the parent, the parent passed it to the grandparent, and the grandparent is in the ICU as we speak. Um, so that's that's one of the risks is that kids um, without the protection will get the disease easier, maybe asymptomatic and pass it on um, easier. So it, it, I don't know how to weigh that. I'm, I just don't have enough data. Okay. All right. That's fine. Doc, when we first started talking about COVID almost three years ago, if you can believe it, you and I talked about herd immunity and that if enough people got it, survived it, they would have a immunity and create that kind of barrier so the the virus wouldn't mutate and jump and get outside of those circles. Can we not find out if um, a significant portion of us have herd or have immunity, natural immunity? We, we have it, but the Darren thing has mutated uh, so much is a lot of that immunity isn't useful. That is, it may be partially useful in keeping us out of the ICUs and keeping us out of having the most severe infection, but it, it doesn't appear to be totally useful as a herd immunity and stopping us from having a reservoir in the community. That's what you hope, is that it won't mutate, that enough people will get it, that it won't be able to spread because it hasn't mutated, but it, the damn thing has been mutating enough. You know, that's, as I said, I think I said early on, that's one of the reasons I fear that this was created in a lab and not um, in an animal that jumped to humans, because it's it, somehow this has gotten a way of uh, mutating so much as it's um, likely to stay in our society for a long time. Yeah, endemic versus pandemic, and that's uh, correct. That's troubling. Dr. Michael Royson is with us from the Cleveland Clinic. We're talking about health and wellness and how you can make yourself a genetic engineer, and that's uh, available at the greatagereboot.com, greatagereboot.com. Doc, uh, it doesn't look like, uh, checking out your research this week, it doesn't look like Japan is uh, is re encouraging its uh, people to repopulate. In fact, Japan's uh, lack of new births and the uh, normal life cycle seems to be killing that country. Well, in fact, that's the article. How often have you ever heard a prime minister say that if we don't get more births in, in the near future, immediately now, if we don't change this now, um, our country is going to die. 
Um, and all he was saying was the truth in the fact they don't have, they have fairly strict immigration requirements. Their population was, I think, 128 million in 2017 um, and is now 125 million. They have averaged between 1970 and I think 2000 and uh, about uh, 2 million births a year. They're now having 800,000. Wow. China was has now 1. I think 37 billion um, is predicted to be under 700 million by 2100. Largely, they had a one-child policy, and now they aren't getting many births, but no one is in the developed world. And let me go and give you that. So it takes about 2.1 children per woman in the fertile period that's between uh, 18 judged between 18 and 38 to have 2.1 children for populations to stay stable we've always had when in the 1950s in the u.s we were at three six now our normal population is at something around one five Wow. But I always used to say that Trump should have said, instead of make America great again, he should have said, make America procreate. Again. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Um, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of we, people we, that say he was trying we, to do that himself. You know? <laughs> we have the same problem. In any case, in any case um, the, the point is that um, there is a, in, the children are the workforce, right? They work between 18 and 65, and then people retire. And if their birth rate's declining, there are not going to be enough people in that age group to support those of us who get old with Social Security and medical care costs. My friend, uh, you and I need to talk again next week. Thank you for all the great information uh, and all the inspiration every single time. Follow Dr. Roizen on Twitter, too. Dr. Michael Roizen on Twitter. Great stuff all the time. Let's do it again, Doc. Thanks. I love it. 